our lives are made up of millions of small decisions. And it's the accumulation of those decisions that determine the direction of our lives and ultimately our destiny. But sometimes it's hard to see this. It's difficult to look beyond the immediate and see where our decisions will lead to. But if we fail to do that, and just make our decisions based on just how they make us feel in the short term, then we'll often get them wrong, which will lead to disastrous consequences. The writer of Hebrews knew that some of his readers were in danger of making the same mistake. For short-term reasons, some of them were considering walking away from Christ. Going back to the religion that they'd come from. And so, five times in this letter, he warned them of the serious consequences of making that decision. And this morning we're going to read number four of that series of five warning passages. And we're going to see that trusting in Jesus is worth it. Because although it may bring challenges into our lives, with Him, our future is far better. So we're going to read from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 to 39, and Caroline's going to come up, and she's going to read to us. I think this one is... Is this one okay If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot? who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, It is mine to avenge, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a dreadful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Remember those early days after you received the light when you endured in a great conflict full of suffering, Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. At other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had better and lasting possessions. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For... In just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Thank you, Caroline. This passage sets out two different directions that people follow. And these directions are revealed by two different decisions they make in the face of persecution. But choosing that right decision is crucial because they lead to two very different destinies. 
So that's what we're going to look at today. Two directions revealed by two decisions leading to two destinies. So first of all, we have two different directions. Verse 26. There are, there are those who deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now we need to be careful here to understand what the writer is talking about. This is not talking about people who struggle with sin in their lives. Because that would include every single one of us. None of us are sinless. The Bible is really clear. None of us will be sinless this side of heaven. The Apostle John, he wrote in his letter, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. So all of us struggle with sin in our lives. So much so that Jesus taught us to pray as part of our regular prayer life that we should ask for forgiveness and protection. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So all of us struggle with sin. So that's not what the writer of Hebrews is talking about here. Instead he's talking about those who are deliberately sinning in some way. So who are they, those people? Well, just like with the other warning passages in Hebrews, there are lots of different ideas about who this, this, uh, this involves. Some people think that they are Christians who turn away from Christ and so lose their salvation. They used to follow Jesus, they used to be on the road to heaven, and they, they decided to turn away, and so they're now lost. But the Bible teaches very clearly the eternal security of everybody who puts their trust in Jesus. Even in this chapter, Hebrews 10, we see that in verse 14, by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Jesus' sacrifice makes us perfect forever. So we can never be lost. Others believe that this is kind of like a hypothetical situation. It can't actually happen. It teaches us what would happen if a Christian could deliberately keep on sinning, but of course they never will. But again, I think that takes away from the whole point of what the writer is saying. And others think that this is a judgment that is on believers about losing their reward, but not their salvation. But again, I don't think that ties in with the seriousness of what we read. So as I said before, the view that I have is that this best fits the people who the author is talking about here seem to be, they seemed to be genuine Christians. People thought that they were believers in Jesus. They received the knowledge of the truth, verse 26. They heard the gospel and it initially looked like they accepted it. But through their deliberate sinning, they've shown that they've never really had a genuine faith in Jesus. Despite what they've claimed, despite being part of the church community, they've continued to live in a way that's inconsistent with someone who has trusted in Jesus. 
I said, get, let me just say again, that's not because they struggle with sin, because we all do. But it's because they have deliberately and decisively rejected Christ. They have, verse 29, they have trampled the Son of God underfoot. It's a picture of utter contempt. In rejecting the gospel, in turning their back on Jesus, they have just completely disrespected him. They are walking all over him. You see, I don't want to have anything to do with him ever again. They've also treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant. They said that Jesus' blood on the cross is not for them. It's not to pay for their sins. It's not enough. His sacrifice is not sufficient. His blood is not powerful to wash us clean in God's sight forever. And in doing so, they've insulted the Spirit of grace. It's the work of the Holy Spirit who brings us to to that place of conviction about our sin and brings us to that place of putting our faith in Jesus. But those who reject the work of Jesus have resisted the work of the Holy Spirit. They've resisted His grace. And so these people, they used to claim to follow Jesus. They used to be part of a church community. Everybody around them probably thought they were believers. But the direction of their lives now shows that they are actually the enemies of God. They've deliberately rejected God's Son as their Saviour. They've refused to accept His sacrifice on the cross for their sins. And they've resisted the work of the Spirit in their lives. But there's a different direction that the writer urged his readers to accept. The second direction is verse 36. You need to persevere. This is the call throughout this letter. This is the the main message, I think, of this letter. Refuse to give up. Say no to turning back. Instead, keep trusting in Jesus. So he encouraged them not to. Verse 35, don't throw away your confidence. Don't throw away your confidence. That's not your confidence in yourself. That's don't throw away your confidence in Christ. Remember we looked at that last week. Or or the week before last. We have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. We have that confidence. These are people who are convinced that when Jesus died on the cross, He died for them. He paid for their sins in full. He made it possible for them to be declared right before God forever. And so they know that they have free and open access right into the very intimate presence of God in heaven. And they stand in that truth. They rest in it. They are confident in it. Now of course these people, they're not saved by their perseverance. They're not saved because they keep on going. It's the other way around. They persevere because they're saved. They keep on going because they do belong to Jesus. 
That's what we saw right away back in Hebrews chapter 3. We have come to share in Christ if we hold firmly to the end the confidence that we had at first. We show that we have already come to faith in Jesus, that we have already been adopted into his family, that we've already been made clean if we keep on going, walking with Christ. And I think that's what the writer means in verse 36 of our reading. When he says, when you have done the will of God. That's not about living a perfect life, because none of us will do that. That's not about trying to make ourselves right with God, because we're a good person and we do all the right things and we keep all the rules, because that's never the way to get to God. Instead, doing the will of God is about trusting in Jesus as our Saviour. This is what Jesus talked about in John chapter 6. Jesus in that chapter was asked by the people, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus' answer is this. The work of God is this. To believe in the one he has sent. What is God asking us to do? To trust in Jesus. To put our faith in him. That is the core of our lives. Not keeping rules, not thinking we're good people, not focusing on our achievements and thinking that will make us anything closer to God, but focusing on the fact that we're trusting in Jesus. We've put our trust in Him and in Him alone. So here are the two different directions. One is deliberately rejecting Christ and so showing that we're enemies of God. The other is devotedly persevering with Christ, and so showing that you're a child of God. These two directions are clearly very different. But the problem is that at the start, People on those two different directions can look very similar. It can be very difficult for us, looking on the outside, to know where somebody's on, what path they're on. But the difference is often shown in times of persecution. According to the Bible, persecution will always come for Christians. Apostle Paul wrote that everybody who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone. Now, of course, it comes in different forms in in our different lives. Often in Ireland, it's more the subtle form, the hidden form of persecution. But at other times, like for the original readers of this letter, it was direct, it it was violent persecution. Verse 33 reminds them that they were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. It wasn't hidden. It wasn't subtle. It wasn't talking behind their back or or secretly ostracizing them. It was just in your face, violent persecution. They'd been thrown into prison. They'd had their property seized. But the interesting thing is this persecution, the response to this persecution, revealed what direction they were on. For some people, 
When they experienced that persecution, it was a trigger to deliberately reject Jesus. They, they, they were suffering for Jesus and they thought, well, I don't want to do this anymore. And they weren't, weren't willing to accept the cost of following him. So they were among those, verse 39, who shrink back. They ran for cover. They saved themselves. They took the easier road and walked away from Christ. We need to be really careful how we think about that. The persecution didn't cause these people to lose their faith in Jesus. But rather the persecution showed that they never really had genuine faith in Jesus in the first place. It's like the seed that fell on the rocky places in Jesus' parable of the sower. Remember that parable where the, the, Jesus talked about the man who was sowing seed and it fell on different kind of, different kind of soil? Well, the, the seed that fell on the rocky places, when they hear the gospel, the seed springs up. It looked like, looks like they're accepting the gospel, they're accepting the message. But Jesus says this, but since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. The persecution doesn't cause that soil to be rocky. The persecution reveals the rockiness of the soil. The shallowness of the commitment. The lack of real faith in Jesus. But in the face of the same persecution, other people made a very different response, a different decision. Look at verse 32. When the writer reminds them, you stood your ground in a great contest in the face of suffering. I don't think these believers liked persecution any more than the others. They didn't enjoy the pain of it. They didn't they didn't like it. They didn't, they didn't want it. But they didn't shrink back because of it. Instead, they decided to stand firm. They held on to their hope. And they persevered with Christ. So they willingly identified with those who were persecuted. You stood side by side who were, with those who were so treated. And you also suffered with those who were imprisoned. You sympathized with those who were in prison. And they joyfully accepted the confiscation of their property. They were actually able to rejoice in times of great loss. They celebrated in the difficult times. Now that seems impossible. But it is the attitude that Jesus called us to have in times of persecution. Remember in Matthew 5, in the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are you when you people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. And it's that kind of future thinking 
that enabled these believers to overcome the challenge of persecution and keep on trusting in Jesus. They knew that those two different, de- those two different directions were heading to two different destinies. And that, of course, is a serious warning of this passage. These two directions, revealed by two different decisions in the face of persecution, ultimately lead to two different destinations. Those who deliberately reject Jesus face what the writer said in verse 27 was a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. That's the final day judgment we're talking about here. The lake of fire, as it's talked about in Revelation. The eternal hell for all of those who have rejected Jesus, who are under the condemnation of their sin. Now, none of us like to think about this. And it's understandable because it should make us shudder. It is a dreadful thing, verse 31 says, to fall into the hands of the living God. This is something that should terrify us to some extent. But that's what we're talking about here. This is falling into the hands of God. It is God's judgment. This is not encouraging us as individuals or as a church to go around and point the finger at everybody else who is not doing the right thing and judge them. Or condemn them. Or reject them. It's not our job to do that. We don't have that right. We are called to follow in the footsteps of Jesus and take the gospel to a dying world. Express the gospel of God's love and grace. That's our job. But it's God's right to judge. Did you see what he says in verse 30? It is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord will judge his people. So this is God's judgment. I know some people struggle with the Old Testament because they say that it portrays a a picture of a God who is angry, who is vengeful, who is judgmental. But they claim that the God who is presented in the New Testament is different. He's so loving and gracious and forgiving. So they kind of don't read the Old Testament and just focus on the New. But that picture is just simply not true. The whole Bible reveals to us the same God. The one who is loving and gracious and forgiving to all who come to Him through Christ for salvation but also the one who is holy and just and will ultimately condemn those who are still in their sins. In fact, the writer here refers back to the judgment that was part that was prescribed by the Old Testament and says the punishment to come is far greater than that. 
See what he says in verse 28? Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. That's referring to Deuteronomy 17. When if somebody completely rejected God and turned to idolatry on the testimony of two or three witnesses, they, were, they had to be condemned to death. They were no longer allowed to live within that church, that, that community of God's people. But the writer is saying that if that punishment was appropriate for those who had rejected God's law, then verse 29, how much more severely do you think a man deserves to be punished if they've rejected God's Son and His sacrifice and His Spirit? That, I think, explains why this judgment is right. As fearful, as dreadful, as uncomfortable as it makes us to think about it, it is the right judgment because if they have rejected God's Son, if they have rejected His sacrifice, if they have rejected His Holy Spirit, then verse 26 says that no sacrifice for sins is left. There's no other way to become right with God. There's no other saviour who can rescue us. No other sacrifice that can pay the price of our sins. No other way into his presence. If we reject Christ, if we turn our back on him, then God will give us exactly what we ask for. If we kick him out of our lives, he will allow us to suffer the consequences of that. Of life without him. In all of its dreadful consequences. So this is the judgment of all who turn their back on Jesus. All who go that direction of rejecting him. But there's a better destiny. There's a better destination. If we put our faith in Jesus... And trust him in, in Him alone for our salvation. Trust in His sacrificial death on the cross. Then our destiny will be gloriously different. Instead of dreadful judgment, we will experience a rich reward. It's because in verse 37, in just a little while, He who is coming will come. And will not delay. Of course, none of us know when that will happen. But the promise of the Bible is that Jesus is coming soon. Not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him, as we read in chapter 9. And this salvation will not disappoint. Whatever we have lost, Whatever we have cut, we have suffered, whatever it has cost us, when Jesus returns, we will see that trusting in Him is worth it all. Because He will bring us into the fullness of the salvation that we have received. We will enjoy it forever. And that's why those Christians could be joyful in the face of persecution. Because they knew that if they lost 
everything they had in this world. Even their very lives. They knew that they had better and lasting possessions. They had a treasure in heaven that nothing and no one could ever take from them. So this is the appeal of this passage. This is the appeal I want to leave with us this morning. So do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Don't go in the direction of those who deliberately reject Jesus. Don't decide to shrink back in the face of persecution or the cost of following Jesus. Because that leads to a destiny of dreadful judgment. Instead, keep going in the direction of those who devotedly persevere in their faith in Jesus. Who decide to suffer joyfully for Christ. Because in the end, this will lead to a rich reward. In the end, it will lead to a future that is better by far.